thank you so much for this great day, this beautiful day, this wonderful opportunity you have given us to gather in this place to worship you. Help us, Father, today to worship you in spirit and in truth. May you be glorified. May our hearts and minds and spirits be lifted after having been in your presence today. May we have a full and victorious day and week. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to turn your attention once again to the text that has already been read this morning, Acts chapter 9. And I want to just read verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified in walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. I want to preach today uh, from the subject, Peter, a man of passion and power. Peter, a man of passion and power. We're making our way through the book of Acts, um, and we're still in Acts chapter 9, and we're focusing our attention today on Peter, a man of passion and power. Last week when we left Saul, there was a plot to kill him. That plot had been set in motion. You remember because Saul was a man who was devoted and destined to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has been truthfully stated that the gospel will either draw you or drive you. That is to say that the gospel of Jesus Christ will either draw people to Christ or push them away. What is the gospel? The gospel is an account of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? That's the, that's the, that's the gospel. Paul would later write concerning the drawing and driving characteristic of the gospel in 1 Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, uh, he wrote, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Watch this now. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached, the foolishness of preaching, to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, watch this now, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. In other words, the gospel drove them away. To them, it was, the Jews, it was a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it was mere foolishness. And you remember the Greeks were intellectuals. They were brilliant. Then he says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. In other words, some are drawn to God through the gospel. Concerning the acceptance of the gospel, the truth is some do, some don't, some will, and some won't. In verse 23, a group of Jews plotted to kill Saul, and again in verse 29, an attempt was made on his life. But in verse 31, some well-meaning church people got involved, the Bible says, and they brought Saul down to Caesarea. From there they sent him to Tarsus for safety. Oh, thank God for good intention church people. 
Oh, thank God for those in the church who know what's right, will do what's right, and will get involved and help out wherever they can. Oh, thank God for dedicated Christians in the church who will step in and do everything they can to make things right and to help out. Luke uses verse 31 as a transition verse to help his readers shift focus from the activities of Saul, at least for a while, to the activities of Peter, who was last mentioned in Acts 8.35 as he returned from Samaria to Jerusalem with John. Now, you remember the book of Acts means, to some degree, Acts of the Apostles. So what has happened in the past few weeks in our series of sermons, we have been concentrating on the acts of Saul or the activities of Saul. Now Luke shifts inverted verse 31 from the activities of Saul, the apostle, to the activities of Peter, the apostle. Now, pay close attention to verse 32. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace, watch this, were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Do you see the five points of the church, five characteristics of the church, five things that happened in the church? Luke points out that the church was at peace. The church was at, at peace. The church was edified. That meant that the church was being taught. The church walked in the fear of the Lord. The word fear here has a dual meaning. It means to be afraid or to be terrified, but it also means to have reverence or respect. What Luke is saying is that during this period, people had reverence for God. They respected God. The church was also comforted by the Holy Spirit. Spirit, and the church grew in number. Isn't that fantastic? That's, that's a five characteristics of a healthy church right there. Now, all these blessings took place in the church, at least in part, because Saul the tyrant, Saul the treacherous, Saul the torturer, Saul the troublemaker, was now saved, sanctified, that means set apart for God's service, and filled with God's Holy Spirit, and he was now preaching Jesus Christ. Saul, who was once a terrorist, going around terrorizing the church, is now a teacher, teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Saul, who once was a persecutor of the church, persecuting Christians, was now preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Saul, who was once a menace to the church, a menace to Christians, is now an active and viable missionary, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere he went. But now Luke does something interesting. He shifts gears from Saul, and he begins to talk about Peter. Notice verse 32 states, Now we came to pass as Peter, you notice the shift from Saul, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. Now historically speaking, Lydda, 
was a predominantly Gentile region that meant that uh, uh, Gentiles were non-Jewish. They had a no lot of non-Jewish people there. It was a community about 25 miles west of Jerusalem. It was a fairly large town. It was a commercial center. It was a hub at the intersection of roadways connecting Egypt to Syria and Joppa. Lida was an important town. And verse 33 reveals that when Peter arrived in Lydda, he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. That's what happens when he goes, he goes to this town. He goes to Lydda. He finds Aeneas who is, had been bedridden. He's been in the bed for eight years and he was paralyzed. Now, use your imagination to visualize Aeneas's situation. He was unable to leave the house and the room he was in, day in and day out. Day in, day out. If he had a window, he could look out, he could see the sunrise, he could see the sunset, but he was unable to get up off of that bed and go out. He was unable to leave the bed upon which he was laid. He could not be seated at the dinner table with family meals. Oh, what a privilege it is to be able to sit down at our dinner tables and look across into the eyes of those that we love or to go out to restaurants and sit down but not Aeneas. He could not attend worship at the synagogue. Oh, how sweet it is that we can get up on the Lord's day, make our way to the house of God and worship him in spirit and in truth, but not in this. He could not shop at the meat markets or stand in line at the vegetable stands. And oh, how sometimes we, we complain while we stand in line at, at the market, at the store, at the bank, wherever, but not in this. Oh, what he would have given if he could only stand in line. He could not fellowship with the men at the city gate where men would gather and they would talk about things, talk about God, or talk about whatever men talk about when they gather. But Aeneas couldn't be a part of that. He was about as critical as one could be. Reminds me of a young man that I visit, I hadn't visited him recently, but he was a young man involved in an accident, and, and in his early 20s, he was paralyzed from his neck down. Most days, he would spend just sitting and looking from his wheelchair, or riding around in his wheelchair, all oh, what he would have given to be able to use his limbs again. This was a critical situation for Aeneas, uh, but not only was this a critical situation for Aeneas, but think about his family. Think about his friends who were most likely his caregivers. Think about how they painstakingly attended to his every need from the combing of his hair to bathing him and taking care of all of his bodily functions. And adding insult to injury, no doctor up until this point. No treatments 
no medical procedure offered any prospect of change in Aeneas's condition. So it was with no remedy on the radar, Aeneas, along with his family, his friends, and the well-wishers, day after day, found themselves helplessly gripped by hopelessness. Isn't that a terrible way to live? Day after day, helplessly gripped by hopelessness, feeling helpless and hopeless that he's in this situation with no prospect of change on the radar. As far as they could tell, Aeneas was destined. He was doomed to be paralyzed and would need people to take care of him for the rest of his natural life. As far as they were concerned, it was a helpless and hopeless situation. He was doomed to be that way for the rest of his natural life. Well, isn't that just like human nature? To think the worst? Isn't that just like human nature to give up? To give out? To give in? Does not the flesh say, throw up your hands, throw in the towel, forget about it, this is a hopeless case, and there is not any use in trying? Isn't it the natural reaction for us to think while facing difficult family situations or uh, going through uh, difficult times with our health or on our em employment, isn't it natural for us to think that things will never change? Yeah, sometimes people come to us, don't they? And they whisper in our ear, things will never change. Sometimes the devil sends his messengers whispering sweet nothings in our ears that things will never get better. Isn't it natural for us to think my lot in life will never improve? I'll be stuck in this rut. I'll be stuck in this dark place until God calls me home. Such being the case, God, in his infinite wisdom, inspired Luke to write verse 34. And verse 34 of the text, listen carefully, screams down through the corridors of time. Can you hear it? Verse 34 is screaming down the corridors of time. Can you hear it? Verse 34 is trying to get our attention can you hear it? Listen closely. Verse 34 is saying, don't become depressed. Don't be despondent. Don't be disillusioned. Verse 34 is screaming at us. Wait a minute. Stop the muse. Because there's something on the horizon. There's something out in the distance. There's something moving in Aeneas' direction. It's a showstopper. 
It's a game changer. It's a jump shot by the short shooter with three seconds remaining on the clock. It's a Hail Mary pass by your quarterback, slinging one to the right receiver, surprisingly standing all alone in the end zone for the game-winning touchdown. No, really, it's a miracle in the making. Do you still believe in miracles? This is a miracle in the making. Do you still believe that God is able to do extraordinary things? Do you still believe that God is in the miracle working business? Verse 34 paints a remarkable picture stating, and Peter said to him, I love that. I read sometimes. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might see wonderful things in your word. But before you pick up your Bible, you ought to just whisper that prayer to God. Open my eyes, God, that I might see wonderful things in your word. Help me see some things that the natural eye would would miss. Peter said to him, notice the word. And I quote, and Peter. And Peter means that Peter never gave up hope. And Peter means that Peter recognized that it ain't over until Jesus says it's over. And Peter means Peter learned to dream impossible dreams. Peter had learned to dream impossible dreams. And Peter means Peter believed the words spoken by the angel to Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Luke 137, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Peter said in verse 34, Aeneas, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. Then he arose immediately. I like how Eugene Peterson translates verse 34 in the message translation. Peterson writes, Peter said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. It's a done deal. Not that he's going to do it. He's already done. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make up your bed. Peterson writes, and he did it. Jump right out of bed. What that means is when Aeneas got blessed, Aeneas got busy. No more lying around for him. No more sad songs in his repertoire. No more pity parties. No more lonely days. No more sleepless nights. God had come through. God had saved him. God had delivered him. God had healed him. There he stood ready to be used by God. That's the intention of the text. When he got blessed, he stood up ready to be used by God. 
So it is. Here's the application. Here's the application of the text. So it is when we get our blessings. When we get our breakthrough. We are to stand before God saying, thank you, Jesus. We are to say in the words of the songwriter, here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you, my God, you are altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. When we get blessed, it's all right to say to God, here I am. Signed, here I am. Sealed, here I am. Delivered. I'm yours. When God blesses us, we ought to stand and say, God, I'm yours. Use me. However you want to use me. Like Aeneas, I'm standing now. I was once laid out, but I'm standing now. I was once depressed, but I'm standing now. I was once despondent, but I'm standing now. I was once down, but I'm standing now. I was once on my sickbed, but I'm standing now. Folks said I'll never be nothing, but I'm standing now. Here I am. I'm yours. Use me, God. Use me. When we get blessed. We ought to get up, when we get blessed, when we get off our sick beds, when God turns things around, when God makes a way out of no way, when God makes that impossible dream come true, when God does what people say couldn't be done, when God turns your midnight into day, when God gives you beauty for ashes, when God picks you up, when God turns you around, when God brings you out, when God gets you over, sing with uplifted voices all to Jesus. I surrender all to him. I freely give. I will ever love and serve him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all, withholding nothing. I surrender all. God, we thank you today that you are still a miracle-working God.